Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and joining me here today is QIC's Director of Fixed Income and Absolute Return Strategies, Beverly Morris. Before we begin, I'd like to take our listeners back a few episodes where we featured Troy Reek, the CIO from LGIA Super, who introduced us to the wonderful phrase of the inflation ninja. As Troy noted, it's not an area of the markets being spoke about much currently, but he went on to explain he finds it very difficult to predict, particularly compared to bonds and equities. And to quote Troy, it sneaks around and all of a sudden it's standing there right next to you. So I couldn't think of a better way and a more exciting way to describe inflation as a backdrop to Bev joining us today. Bev, welcome to QPod. And it's also great to have you after all those wonderful contributions at our Monday mornings Market Moments podcast. Thanks, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So can we please start by talking about why we're getting into the inflation topic right now, especially against that backdrop of such dire economic data? Our growth is a little in the doldrums, uh, along with commodities, uh, particularly, say, oil, and we have excess industrial capacity. So why is it there are these column inches being devoted uh, to inflation by our media commentators? Why the sudden focus on the inflation ninja? I would have thought with COVID running around that it would have dampened this market chatter. What's your take, Bev? Yeah, thanks, Craig. Well, we would say that there probably, you know, still isn't enough focus on this topic, which is, you know, exactly why we wanted to highlight it to investors. And we do believe it's a topic that people are going to hear more and more about in the quarters ahead. But you're right that we have seen in the last few weeks a little bit more market chatter about the topic and a debate, you know, starting to rear its head. But why the sudden focus on inflation for us? Um, You know, we've seen a very swift global policy response to COVID-19. Central banks came into action very quickly. They learned a lot of lessons out of the post-GFC period and what worked and what didn't work. But what's different this time is that the fiscal policy has come so quickly and really stepped up to the plate globally, providing that much needed economic bridge to help compensate um, you know, individuals and businesses for that loss of income and employment through the COVID-19 episode. It's easy to see why investors remain unconvinced about inflation. We've had a decade of extraordinary central bank balance sheet expansion that's really done nothing to generate any kind of inflationary impulse. So why is this different? And the difference is that you know fiscal policy is very different to monetary policy. It was used in the GFC as well, but it was very quick to retreat. And there was a generation of, we must get those budget deficits back to balance very quickly. And so for a long period of time there, fiscal policy was actually working against what the central banks were trying to do. Now, this transition to fiscal policy dominance was always inevitable. Um, You know, we've been talking for years about central banks sort of getting to the end of their uh, road and effectively reaching the lower bound and policy stimulus becoming somewhat less effective. So it was always going to happen that we would need that shift to fiscal policy. But the COVID-19 shock has really accelerated that shift. And we believe now what we've got is a very much a regime shift where fiscal policy is now going to be the more dominant lever in the decade ahead. Fiscal policy can be a much more effective tool for stimulating growth and economies and inflation than monetary policy. 
Even though central banks flooded the system with lots of liquidity post the GFC, a lot of that liquidity remained in the banking system. Fiscal policy can totally bypass that financial system altogether and provide the stimulus directly to businesses and households. And not only can that make the transmission much faster, but it also means it's getting exactly where it needs to go. And, and there's a lot of research, a lot of economic research to show that fiscal policy, particularly during recessions, can be extremely powerful and well-executed fiscal policy can be highly successful. Bev, I want to pick up on that last comment you made there around that more direct to household comment there. We heard from our economists last week that um, not all of that fiscal policy through endeavours such as JobKeeper, et cetera, is finding its way back into the economy. So is one of the risks here that from a policy point of view, the government might be quick to retract fiscal policy, particularly in the environment where they're already starting to review JobKeeper? Look, it's definitely a risk um, that fiscal policy you know, comes back in and tightens back too quickly and there you don't get that full economic recovery that we're sort of hoping to see. But what's different again this time is that it's not individual countries and individual governments that are having to undertake these policies on their own and therefore worried about you know, how markets might react to those ballooning government deficits. All countries globally are facing this issue simultaneously. We've also got central banks, importantly, able to ensure the bond yields remain low in the face of those ballooning deficits. So with central bank policies really uh, running out of effective policy for stimulating growth, the central bank backstop can then provide the ability for fiscal policy to continue to provide that much needed stimulus for longer. Um, look, you're absolutely right that right now the Packages like JobKeeper and JobSeeker are under review. Um, same sorts of debates are happening globally, such as in the US as well, where they have you know, temporarily increased uh, unemployment benefits through COVID. So there is a risk that should governments decide that you know, these programs have an end date, that we, we end back where we started. But we think that's highly unlikely. Um, and already, you know, we're starting to hear hints that a lot of these programs are going to have to be extended. And that's the point, I guess, that we're trying to say here, that is that once the, the door has been opened to fiscal policy, and particularly with central banks there as a backstop, it's going to be very difficult, I think, for governments to very quickly rein these policies back in. So it seems a little conflicted as well, Bev. I think about it like we've, at the moment, obviously, we're in the throes of, of Melbourne and going back into lockdown and, and real concern down in Melbourne with regards to the pandemic sort of re-emerging down there. You've also got this JobKeeper review happening. There's potentially more uh, unemployment to come at us. And of course, you know, Australia, like the rest of the world, as you pointed out, has also admitted that we are in the in the throes of a recession. So I'm trying to work out the signals here, going back to Troy's original comment of being an, a ninja. Does that remove us even further from the risk of inflation? Yeah, look, it, it obviously might seem like a very strange time to be talking about inflation risks right now when we, as you point out, we're, we're in the midst of one of the worst economic recessions that we've seen you know, since the Great Depression era, and we're, we're seeing a run of horrible economic data come through. And like most... You know, we aren't forecasting a resumption of inflation, you know, very quickly here. That's not that's certainly not what we're saying. If anything, we do expect a bit of softness in inflation over the quarters ahead as as all of this economic weakness um, dampens inflation for a short period of time. But I think, you know, the important thing to highlight is 
This recession is not like a normal recession. Uh, it's a very unusual contraction in that uh, a normal recession is usually characterised by you know, a sharp fall in demand and that demand persists for long periods of time or that drop off in demand persists for, for a long period of time. You know, obviously, as everyone knows, this is caused by government directives to restrict activity and that's what's caused the, the contraction in activity. The important point there is to say that it's not just the demand side of the economy that's been cut back here. It's the supply of goods and services that has also been cut also. So unlike a typical recession, once those economic activities rebound, growth is likely to resume a lot quicker than a normal recession. The other very important point is that supply sides of economies are very difficult to predict, to see in real time. And the longer lasting supply impacts of this current shock may not be known for some time. There's likely to be a lot of you know, permanent shifts in consumer behaviour, in industrial behaviour, in how corporates work. There's going to be large you know, potential shifts in global supply chains and in how labour markets operate globally. So all of these uncertainties are going to be unknowns for a long period of time. And it's going to be some time before we know the full impact of whether those supply side changes have really incurred permanent change on the inflationary process. And Bev, you sort of highlight there that this, you know, this time is a little bit different. And we know, I think a lot of people are now sort of acknowledging that we aren't in the same environment we were in the GFC. And in your paper you recently wrote, you talk about this Japanification effect and why this time isn't different as well. Can you give us a bit of a, a colour there as to why it's not different? And my understanding is around that alignment of fiscal policy and monetary policy working more effectively together. But when you reflect on inflation markets of the past, which market environment do you think we're currently most similar to this time around? You know, that's a great question. And and the Japanification theme has been one that markets have talked about for really the past decade. And particularly, you know, we've seen that, you know, central bank balance sheet expansion really do very little to, to drive an inflation higher. Um, and you're right, the key is the fiscal, because that has been absent for a lot of the past decade, and was also, you know, absent in, in the Japan experience. So the key difference to, to then and now is that the Japan policy response was painfully slow. Uh, it was just far too slow. In fact, they were tightening policy in many cases very early on um, in that Japanese recession. Not only was it slow, fiscal policy and monetary policy were at many times working in competing um, and opposite directions to each other. And finally, and this is the key point, is that all of that stimulus that eventually came in Japan happened well after inflation expectations, and I mean consumer inflation expectations, not just you know what the market was pricing, um, had already de-anchored and had already fallen to levels that were, were going to be impossible to recover from. And that's what's quite different to the current situation. Even though we've got you know, experts saying that inflation is going to be lower globally over the next year, consumers themselves, uh, and we've got a couple of you know, high profile, well-respected consumer surveys in the US that we can look at, consumers themselves are actually saying the opposite. They're showing in the last couple of months, some of the largest jumps on record for their expectations of what inflation is gonna be in the year ahead. 
What does this all mean for asset markets, in your opinion, Bev? Um, one of the things that I found quite interesting when you look at the 10-year inflation break-even rate is that inflation's been on this sort of long trajectory down for a number of years, almost a decade now. But yet more recently, we've seen a, a significant pickup in inflation. How do you take that into account when you're talking to investors with regards to the, the future inflation, given again that, you know, as we sort of said at the start, some people find inflation quite hard to predict from a signal point of view? Yeah, look, financial markets aren't showing any concern about, you know, the prospect of high inflation at all. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, inflation itself has been on a sort of a slow, uh, steady grind lower for a number of years now. But during the COVID crisis, inflation markets have fallen very sharply and they've fallen to levels that we've never seen before in history and are extremely depressed relative to, you know, long run average levels. For example, the Australian 10 year break even inflation rate at the moment um, is only just over 1%. So that's the market saying that it believes Australian inflation is only going to average 1% every year for the next 10 years. So that's one and a half percent below the RBA's target band or the middle of the RBA's target band. And that's well below uh, historical average levels in the inflation market. And, and similarly, even in you know, nominal bond markets, long-end bond yields are very low. Yield curves are still you know, reasonably flat. They're not showing any signs really of inflation risk premium or concerns about in inflation risk. And we're not making the case for hyperinflation here or a big overshoot in inflation, um, you know, all we're saying is that markets are not even expecting even the chance of a more moderate return of inflation, which is what we do expect. So is it a, a kind of contrarian strategy, Bev? And I suppose, what are the risks, for example? Is this really reliant on a fast recovery? No, it absolutely isn't reliant on a faster recovery, although certainly, you know, the COVID developments and some sense of normality in, in economies is, is obviously key to our base case view progressing. But the low probability of inflation currently priced into markets, I think, is providing an opportunity for investors. While central banks are suppressing nominal bond yields, and we've seen very low levels of volatility, which we've been talking about, you know, for a few months now, uh, Craig, you know, we don't think every aspect or every part of the fixed income market is going to be seeing that same sorts of suppressed volatility. And at current low levels of inflation market pricing, there's not only an excellent opportunity for investors to get capital gains um, in that market, but also for people to be considering broader portfolio hedges at what we would consider to be very cheap levels. And fixed income securities like inflation-linked bonds and even, you know, synthetic inflation swaps, these can provide really targeted and nimble protection from that rising inflation scenario. As you correctly point out, you know, consensus has got a very poor track record of predicting inflation. You know, consensus forecasters really just did not see at all how much disinflation there would be over the last decade. And, you know, forecasters can be really slow to pick up changes in regimes and turning points. Um, and inflation is one of those things that, you know, historically has proven very difficult to predict. And so, again, we're not saying that we're looking for a big resumption in inflation in the short run, but we think inflation is going to be one of those topics that investors are going to hear more and more about in the years ahead. Uh, and, and, you know, the most beneficial discussions come from exploring those implications of what might happen and being prepared for those risks. 
And Bev, when you look at ways to sort of access the inflation markets, where does your mind immediately turn to? And, and obviously, you know, if we look at normal bonds, as you sort of point out before, there's a combination of both inflation, but also rate risk there. So how do you look at that particular market in terms of an access point? Yeah, no, great question. And and QIC actually has a, an extremely long legacy of being very active and a strong capability in inflation markets and index-linked bonds. And, you know, it's those markets where you're actually able to actually target specifically that inflation um, part of the market, which you can't always do with nominal bonds. Um, so those assets are quite bespoke. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of history in managing those assets because they are quite different to other fixed income assets, but they are, you know, perfect tools for, you know, getting at exactly that higher inflation scenario. Thank you, Bev. And really just to recap from my point of view, um, inflation might be at a uh, record lows at the moment, but there are really a lot of reasons why inflation should be on our investors' radar currently. You mentioned before that the go-forward factors are really there in terms of fundamentals with such impressive and coordinated fiscal policy and monetary policy stimulus happening at the moment, which we really haven't seen for quite a long time. But of course, there are risks like anything in our markets that can be considerate of. And of course, as we continue on this path with regards to the COVID pandemic, there's some signals there for investors to be watchful for as well. Bev, thanks so much for joining us today on QPod. If you would like more information on what was discussed today, then please reach out to your local QIC relationship manager. Thank you for listening. Please look out for our next QPod and have a wonderful day.